podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Nina Casa Show. Before I carry on any further, I'd just like to publicly um, apologise to everyone who listened to the previous show. I believe there was a lot of audio issues. Hopefully, fingers crossed, everything is good this time round. When we're recording live, we don't really hear it. But guys, I really apologise. But back to this show and back to this podcast. This is our post-match show for Liverpool's Oh, but cheek clenching 2-1 win over Brighton. It should have been so easy, but wasn't the case. Oh my God, squeaky bum time literally for the Reds. Let's talk about this one. And joining me on this podcast, I have two incredible guests. So without further ado, let me introduce them to you. Familiar voices as always. First up, I am delighted to be joined by Tadeva. You can also find his thoughts and his opinions on rate.hate. Tadeva, it's an honor having you on here. Hey, Nina. Glad to be back on. How are you, get, how are you feeling after that one? Oh, my God. Don't even ask me. But before I get to my second guest, how's, um, how's the missus with Jose Mourinho? Sorry, got to ask. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's mixed feelings. Happy that they're winning again, but mm. it's Jose Mourinho, so she knows the inevitable is coming three years down the line. <laughs> a few trophies. <laughs> She just hopes there's a few trophies in the way, but yeah, it's mixed feelings. It's mad. You know what? She's probably the only Spurs fan I actually think about. Like, and I've never even met her. I'm like, oh, that's Diva. That it's um, really looking forward to hear hearing Tadiva's thoughts on this game. It is a Liverpool podcast, and joining Tadiva. Oh, you know. He's a popular one, just like Tadeva. You've heard him many a times on, on the Nina Kaza show. He is the host of the USA podcast as well. These two guys actually do the transfer podcast as well. So it's a bit of a, re, you know, it's, um, it's a reunion of some sorts. It is Justin Wells. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Nina. It's also a chance for Tadeva and I, you know, to, 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 you know, start to get together, get the chemistry going ahead of the January window because, uh, Hopefully, there's something to talk about in that window because, uh, you know, I, I think that we probably need to do some business in that window for once. Like, uh, you know, there are these two there are these two players named Trent Alexander Arnold and Andrew Robertson who we can't run into the ground and expect to actually win anything. No, guys, you're absolutely spot on. First and foremost, you know what, um, Justin, I will come to you first. I mean. Before before we started this podcast, you told me you have a hot take. So you know what? I want to hear it. I believe I referred to it as a nuclear take. But um, oh, okay, it, it's it's I I cannot watch the Liverpool midfield, especially without Fabinho, because at least Fabinho papers over some cracks and just getting just like just does Jurgen Klopp, a guy who's managed most of the squad for the over the better part of the past four seasons. How does he still not know what each one of these guys is individually good at in midfield? Uh, we just allowed one of the lowest possession teams, a team that basically gives no creativity for midfield, doesn't get into many shooting positions, 
and basically doesn't doesn't play with possession. Like they just don't do that. It's not how they play. They just came to Anfield and look. Some of this is over the last ten minutes of the game when we have when we're down a man after Allison gets sent off. But you just allowed that team to outpossess the hell out of you. And it's just how many times do you need to see Jordan Henderson not play the six well and do things really well near the other team's area while also seeing Jeannie Wijnaldum fade from games where he's not properly involved, moving him to the six would allow him to do that. And then you bought Nabi Keita for 50 million pounds. At some point, do you ever plan on using this guy? How is Adam Lallana the first substitute off your bench when you're going for a goal to try to kill the game off? It's almost as if, and, 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 I know this sounds like I'm taking a shot at Klopp because I am. And look, I know how good Matt Andrew is. I know he knows more about football than I'll ever know. It does not matter to me at this exact moment because it seems as if every single game he's getting the midfield more and more and more and more wrong. And right now it just seems like we're coming up against a great run of luck. This is not process related. This is not performance related. This is luck. And our midfield is supremely letting us down. And he needs to make a change there at some point because it will eventually hurt us. And if it if it doesn't come soon, it will come eventually. And I just and you just have to hope that if it that does come and he doesn't adjust to this, that we're so far out of sight in the league that nobody can catch us. Because on, on current form, this midfield just keeps getting worse and worse, and we and we control nothing. Oh, Tadiva, I mean, do, do you share those thoughts? Because like I'll be honest with you, when it was at two 0 yeah, I, I see what Justin was saying, but I still felt comfortable. Yeah, comfortable to an extent. I thought he was going to try and kill the game off, get the 3-0 and then make the changes. But it seemed mm. like we were happy to to keep it 2-0. But with regards to the midfield, I think um, it, it's such a weird conundrum. And probably Gini Wijnaldum, you know, the debate around him probably is a metaphor for the entire midfield. Uh, people are always discussing what exactly does Gini bring, you know, the intangibles that he brings. Why is he always being selected if he's not getting you know as many touches as both goalkeepers at, in certain games it's the same with the midfield as a whole you look at the likes of you know um Oxley chamberlain uh Naby Keita, you know players that maybe people would have wanted to play a lot more and especially in games that, where teams are going to be playing a low block you you do need that kind of creativity it does help our front three i think um because when we don't have but anyone creative in midfield, then you, if you watch Firmino, then struggles to get space because Firmino likes to operate in that space between the centre back and the uh, and the central midfielders. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so so other teams tend to just drop back and say, okay, fine, if you're going to beat us, beat us with your midfield. We're not going to let you beat us any other way. Mm-hmm. So they drop low low into their box. They're inviting our midfield to come forward and either give a kill uh, killer pass or take the shot on and until we start doing that teams won't push up to come and you know stop those either passes or shots and that then you know it makes it a lot more difficult I think and then we end up going out wide and some of the aimless crosses start to come in I think perhaps with you know I think maybe Kate is probably the the one player that people are are wondering why he's not getting as much time with mm. Ox, we can understand coming back from such a big injury, it's going to take him time. You don't want to rush him back. You know, every now and then give him games, let him grow, not just confidence with, you know, getting his fitness back, but also confidence mentally. It's such a big, you know, it's such a big injury to come back from mentally. Um, it's difficult to get over the fact of, you know, just being able to sprint. Um, 
you know, from personal experience, when I tore my Achilles tendon, I don't think I sprinted in the game for well over a year. Um, and, you know, so I can imagine the pressures of being a professional footballer and you've got the weight of the world on, on your shoulders at the seams every single weekend. He might be thinking, I just don't want to get injured. I just don't want to get injured. So he needs to get over that as well. So we give him time. With regards to Naby Keita, I have to think that it has to be something in training. It can't be anything else but something in training. And we know Jurgen Klopp, you know, the, the likes of Jurgen Klopp, the Pepe, um, Pep Guardiola's, they're managers that, irrespective of your individual talent, um, to an extent, I suppose, but predominantly irrespective of your individual talent, they're not going to play you unless you're helping the team both attacking and defensively because their systems require every single person to be in the right place at the right time. If you're not there at the right time, it's going to be one or two passes and they're going to be able to break the whole system and they're going to be on the counter-attack. So I don't know if it's something that he's not doing defensively or if there's some he's not applying himself in training. You do have players that aren't really good at training but are really, really good you know, during games. Um, for a perfect example for that is Christian Eriksen. And that was part of the reason why Spurs took the gamble on him and no other club was willing to. He, you know, there were scout reports for majority of the big clubs in, in England that they all turned their nose at him because he was predominantly known as being someone that doesn't apply himself as much in training. But during games, you know, he does step up and people were worried that that's going to fester into the rest of the team when you've got someone that's such a star player playing week in, week out, and he's not applying himself as maybe a you know, Adam Lallana might apply themselves in training. So maybe the fact that Naby Keita isn't coming on is, you know, indictment of how he's applying himself in training. And you know Adam Lallana is always going to give you 100%. Whether or not the quality is good enough, he'll, he'll always give you 100%. And maybe he's getting a reward for giving that 100% in training. Interesting. Justin, I'll come back to you. I mean... I get it. I mean, I you know I grew up I've grown up playing and you know playing for teams where if you don't try hard, you're going to lose your spot because someone's going to outtrain you. But at a certain point, if something's not working and you could, and you persist with it, like it's it's going to get exposed. And all of the managers that see us in the league, and there's a reason that Klopp's tried to evolve the system every single season. Figure out what teams and players have like what what teams and what players have weaknesses. So like for instance. Any team that sees Jordan Henderson playing the six is going to know he doesn't track runners well. And as far as how he shields a defense, it's, it's very lateral. It's very much just him moving side to side. And you can get around that and Brighton expose that in 75 minutes. So I don't understand. If, if a team like Brighton's doing that, you can be certain that a team like Spurs is going to do it. You can be certain that Leicester are going to do it. And just don't persist with something he doesn't, that you know doesn't work, right? It doesn't make sense to me, and it's it, it, you only can live with it for so long before it it falls apart. And there's a reason that the Fabinho, Henderson, uh, and uh, Wijnaldum midfield works. It's because of the fact that each one of them have this distinct tactical role that does things that uh you know that 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 enable that allow us to win. It's not, but the second that you kind of pull it out of that construct, we look very yeah. much like we're searching for an answer. 
I think what happens when Fabinho plays, and I think we'll all kind of agree with this, and also, Justin, you've always been like a strong, strong advocate of Jordan Henderson not playing the six, you know, way back when, you know, I have you on record on this podcast. So it's not like you're saying something new here. You've always said that and you've always believed that. And, you know, it's just basically more evidence to what you've always been, you know, what you've always suggested, that he just doesn't look comfortable. I think what Fabinho always does is, you know, you speak about, you know, him just... Well, first of all, he's the first name you look for in that midfield anyway. He's a part of that spine. But what he allows other midfielders to do is um, the simple fact of um, them being a bit more efficient in their roles because he's so specialised in his. You know, like he doesn't have any requirements of anyone else to chip in with him. He can handle that fort. He can look after the fort himself and he allows other people, to, other, the other midfielders, whoever they may be, to playing their specific roles and I think that's what we were kind of maybe missing today the fact that there wasn't no specialized person just sat deep it was kind of difficult to tell at times where Henderson's responsibilities ended and Jeannie Wijnaldum's responsibilities started Mm. but you can kind of see that neither one of them effectively did the job that they needed to because uh I think so tackling stats for defenders highly overrated right? But tackling stats for midfielders in a game where you're down possession, right? Where you're not possessing the ball, you'd like to see your midfielders involved tackling kind of often and trying to disrupt the other team, trying to disrupt the other team's flow. Between Jeannie Wijnaldum and Jordan Henderson, you have three attempted tackles, two successful, both by Henderson, right? Where, where, where's, the dis- where's anything to disrupt how, what Brighton are trying to do once you're doing it that way? Where's any attempt at that? This is Brighton. It's not City. You can disrupt them. Their midfielders are solid Premier League players, but they're not, you know, it's not Gundogan or either of the Silvas. Yeah, I mean, the stats were pretty, um, I've got them up right now, and it says, you know, they have something, they had 55% ball possession to R45 passes they had 577 to R475 pass accuracy we had 80% to their 84 shots um shots we we had 15 to their 12 we had seven on target to their five i mean that is pretty close callings even better to some degree for a team that is meant to be sort of a mid table they had a, <laughs> 115 they had 114 passes in the attacking third darts 75 Fucking hell. That's, yeah, it just tells you everything. I mean, uh, Dal's just come in and says we're now officially safe <laughs> with the 40 points. And I suppose that's what matters. I mean, it was a win. I mean, to do that come to you, because obviously I think, you know, Justin's really kind of riled up about the midfield. So in Fabinho's absence, as we know, that it looks like he's going to be out all the way till New Year. Do you think it might be a time for Jurgen Klopp to maybe tactically change things up a little, you know, instead of playing a three midfield, maybe play a two midfield? Maybe play a four-two-three-one. You know, change it up a little. Maybe like he did last season. It could be, and you know, it's if you look at the players that are coming back in the likes of you know Shakiri mm. more so. He was so influential in, during this busy time period. If you want to put him into the team, probably the best formation for him would be four-two-three-one. I, I would say. So it will be interesting to see how Klopp tinkers with the system going forward. I think, you know, if, if there was any part of the season we could have, you know, if, if, if we were at the start of the season to say Fabinho is 100% getting injured at some point in the season, you have to pick a spot when he's going to be injured. Mm. Maybe this is the best time for him. Obviously, with the amount of games, 
it's not the best time because we need as many bodies as we can have. But in terms of, you know, the, the, the quality of teams that we're playing against, we should be able to get away with other sixes in there opposed to, you know, some of the tougher games where you do need Fabinho's, you know, extra speciality in that position. I, I, I think we should, be, we should be able to get away with it. In terms of whether or not he's out until January, I, I will see it when I believe, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it when it comes to Liverpool injuries. Um, as I was saying to Gags the other day, we are habitual liars when it comes to injuries. Uh, it's, you know, it, it's not just like the, the club or anything like that. It's just what, what happens. And I sh- I'm sure it's, you know, there's reason behind it. You don't want to give away your, some of your trade secrets and stuff like that. But I think in terms of midfield as well, I think it's going to be interesting for more so, I think, Naby Keita. If he doesn't get a run of games during this, December period, or if he doesn't at least impress during this December period, I don't know where else he can go. I know we we were all excited when he came into the club. We all, you know, we were all anticipating he was going to be the perfect midfielder for Klopp. But how many more, you know, opportunities where you think he's going to become, he's going to be stepping up, are going to come around, and and he doesn't get involved. So it will be interesting to see. Maybe the red card meant that he wasn't he didn't get to come on and he would have come on. But when Lalana's coming off the bench before you, that that that's that's scary signs, especially considering Lalana is someone that's, you know, in the last year of his contract and you're meant to be a midfielder that we are building on for the future. Um but then in terms of just all the midfield players, I think every single one of them has to step up now um because of the injury to Fabinho. Yeah, I mean, let's kind of look at some of these individual performances. And Justin, I'll come to you. It looks like we're talking about the midfield. First of all, I like your response about what Tadeva said, maybe Klopp changing it up, uh, you know, the four-two-three-one. I mean, are you in agreement with that? Because it looks like if the flat three doesn't work without Fabinho, then change it up a little like oh, last season. Oh, yeah, no. You have, you have to go to a double pivot without Fabinho. You have to. Um, first off, the way in which it, there's no way to do that, to, to play in which the way that we're going to play with our fullbacks getting that high up the pitch without having to have, because you know, Fabinho can, his reading of the game as a defensive fullback, as a defensive midfielder is better than either Ginny or Henderson's by some margin. Uh, but you, you, need to, you need the two pivots to basically cover the fullbacks. Um, the, the two shuffling eights will probably need the, you, you'd have to just, you need two people to do that one man's job. It, it's, it's, I don't see any other way around it. Fair enough. And let's kind of talk about some of the, the specific players and, and um, we'll talk about the game as well. But seeing as we're talking about the midfield, uh, talk to me about Ginny Wijnaldum because I thought he started off really well against Napoli last um, uh, the, in the Champions League when he had to come on in the sixth role. I thought he handled himself really well. Give me your thoughts on him today. Um, I thought for most parts he looked quite press resistant. His hold-up play was quite nice. You know, he got into some nice advanced positions, you know, trying to play the advanced pass as well. What, what did you make of him? I think that he was okay at, mm. in phases, but yeah. just some phases where he didn't, uh, you know, really take where it wasn't. I don't want to say he didn't take responsibility; it just wasn't clear what his responsibility was supposed to be. It is was he playing as part of a double pivot? Was he playing as an eight who's supposed to get forward? Um, he did create one chance that was that I think Mane probably should have taken. Uh, otherwise, I mean, he did what he he did what he usually uh, what he does against inferior competition where shows you flashes of the fact that he's a superior footballer, but also just shows you too many moments of 
not really uh, being aware of what he's supposed to be doing on the pitch. Tadeva, what what did you make of um, our boy Genie? Yeah, I think, you know, obviously coming on during the week must have messed up with some of the planning around him. I don't think he would have even stepped onto the pitch um, if Fabinho hadn't been injured. So maybe that, you know, plays a factor. And you have to think, obviously, they're professional footballers. And when you get asked to come into into the game, then you have to play. But perhaps maybe his he was feeling his legs a lot more this game, you know, from, from a mental perspective. If you are going into the game midweek against Napoli and you know, you know, the plan is that you're going to be rested, maybe you'll be called upon, but it's very unlikely that you will be. Because if we need a goal, it's more likely he's going to bring on a Lallana or um, one of the more attacking midfielders or, or forwards. Then to have to play that game and then now have to play this game again, I'm going to lean towards maybe that had slightly dampened his, his game today a bit. Um, in terms of on the ball today, I thought he was good in terms of shielding the ball as, as he usually is, um, but it, it felt like a lot of just running around, mm-hmm. not necessarily um, having too big an impact. But I suppose the, the, these aren't the games for for Genie shining, uh, his games are against the bigger teams as we, we're starting to discover. Mm. Absolutely. And what about his, um, his buddy in midfield there, Captain Jordan Henderson? What did you make of him? I mean, Justin's not a fan of him as a six. I mean, what, what did you make of him in that role today? Um, I think from a sideways perspective, I've always thought his, Henderson's best attribute is his willingness to run. So I think... When he plays as the six, his biggest asset is probably the fact that he's willing to run laterally. That you know, from right to left, maybe not up up and down the pitch, but from right to left, really, really well covering spaces. So he he does that well. Um, he tries to get involved in terms of recycling the ball and and moving forward. But I I, I just don't think it's a it's a strong suit. And I'm not going to judge Henderson for that. At this point in time, mm. you just plop for that. Because, you know, Henderson will play Henderson will play in goal if you ask him to play and he'll give yes, you 100%. True. You know what I mean? But he can only do so much um, in terms of his abilities in that position. I just don't think he looks right in the six, especially for the type of um, play that Klopp is, is requiring from our six. I think Henderson needs to be at least, you know, one of the eight giving us that energy up and down the field instead of necessarily left to right lateral movement. So uh, I think you look more at Klopp on that one to, to, to try and figure out a better system or, you know, using him in a better position because he, he's, you can't fault him, you know, for, for not giving effort, but I can fault him for not necessarily having the quality that we might need in that position. But I suppose Klopp is thinking it's Brighton at home. Um, maybe I can gamble a bit here. Yeah, that's actually a very good point, isn't it? I mean, Justin, I mean, talk to me about Jordan Henderson because he did come out and say to Jurgen Klopp that I want to play a more advanced role in the midfield. And, you know, when you look at Brighton, I, I believe, you know, we actually played them once um, away from home with like two central midfielders as centre-backs, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I mean, look, I, I don't want to come across as being harsh on the player, despite the fact that it's going to come across like I'm sounding that way on him. But it's 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 a point that you've acknowledged. They made him a lot of times. I, I just don't. It, he he doesn't have defensive instincts. Jordan Henderson's best attribute always involve him 
working in a game where chaos is to his advantage, right? The last thing you want your number six to do is be a chaos merchant. You want them to be in control of the situation. Jordan Henderson, all the good footballing attributes he has, and particularly the one that Tadiba pointed out, which is his energy and ability to run, it's, none of it's ever really works well in a particularly controlled game state. He needs to be near the end of play, near where chaos needs to happen, probably closer to the front three for pressing situations to support there. And playing him at the six uh, exposes the center backs, right? And uh, fair play to Lovren and Van Dyke today, who we'll get to. Both of them were very good. But playing as a six exposes the center backs and exposes the fullbacks defensively. Just stop doing it. Stop doing it. It's, it's not the player's fault. It's the manager's fault, right? And it's, it, 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 he doesn't use the ball well progressively. He doesn't use the ball well as a guy who's going to control tempo. And he's not the most tactically astute. It doesn't work. It needs to end. I'm sure that he doesn't want to play it because of the fact that he knows it as well, too. Okay, and sticking with you, Justin, talk to me about Clay Chamberlain because it's nice to have some creativity in that team today. You know, I felt like, you know, he looked, he looked quite bright considering, you know, he, he didn't look the best in... Um, oh, God, who did we play last weekend? This is this is exactly where he played against. uh, He played, but he played out wide last weekend. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so he's played in a bit more offensively. Yeah, against Palace. Thank you. This is what I mean. It's been a long ass week for me, people. Thank you, Steve Pizza. I thought thought he was good. Um, He pressed well. He create. He Mm. helped create some opportunities. He had two opportunities himself to score. That you know what he put. He put one just wide that could have made it three nil for us. Probably changes how we're talking about this game. Probably makes me feel a lot less nervy in talking about it, but I thought I thought he was I thought he was mostly good, and it was good to see some attacking impetus in the side. The problem was is that the midfield felt unbalanced because of everything behind him this time, instead of the situation where it usually feels unbalanced because of the fact that we're we're a bit too safe. In this particular situation, it felt unbalanced because we were just way too open behind the attack, and the, you know we just left huge gaps. Uh, I think that look. Without Fabinho, we're going to have to find that balance. Mm. But Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's going to have to be a part of it because I, I don't know who else realistically should be the third midfielder in big games more often than him at this exact on form and off of also Klopp's ability to trust him at the moment. Because you know if it's if it's not Ox, you're very much looking down the barrel at you know either the uh, the aforementioned Brexit midfield or even just a uh, you know a no deal Brexit of Lalana Milner. And uh, Henderson. For sure. An umbilical boy there gets some fish oils for the memory girl. Okay, we need some health advice on this podcast. Tadeev, I'll come to you. Talk to me about Clay Chamberlain. I mean, you know, given the fact that what you've just kind of said about Nabi Keita earlier on, um, it looks like he, he looks like our genuine contender in terms of an attacking output in, in the midfield. Yeah, and you know, as I hinted to earlier as well, it, he's someone that we're going to have to um, be really, really careful with. We know the, the risks that are involved with playing him twice a week and, and stuff like that. Um, so he, I think he's going to be really, really important in such a busy period because in, in the busy periods, you see that, you know, because the games come thinking fast, you can't rely on your attacking players to to be the only ones that are either scoring goals or, uh, you know, or being the creative force. 
and we certainly can't expect our fullbacks to be the only ones when you know when our front three are, are getting stuck and it's always good to have someone from midfield that you know you know if given half a half half an inch he's going to take a shot or he's going to look for a pass so that that you know intensity and that intent that he brings into that midfield i think is going to be really really important for us in in terms of be, being more creative and being able to see ourselves get over the line over over the next couple of games um in terms of this game yeah i, I thought he had a few good runs um he was unlucky not to get a goal um i don't know i can't remember if it was first half or second half where you know uh, there was really good build up on the left hand side ends up being across to Salah, who just lays it off and Ox comes running into the box. Uh, we don't see many of those runs from our midfielders. Maybe Henderson does them mm. every now and then, but we don't see them too often. That's something that Ox does bring to us. And when you have now opposition players knowing that you have a runner from midfield, that's when it's going to start creating space for the clever players like Firmino, who are really good with their off-ball movement. So, yeah, it, it's good to see that he's continuing to play and he doesn't seem to have been, you know, affected or, or had any regression in terms of the injury itself. Um, it's just, just now a matter of time of him gaining back that mental side of the game, of being able to, you know, completely shake the injury off and, and be able to play freely. Yeah, fingers crossed because, you know, right now he does look like the only hope for Liverpool and, uh, you know, and he's scored some absolute worldy goals and long may that continue. I've got a question here from Steve Pizza. And um, Justin, I'll come to you first on this one. Are the panel worried about the forwards? Moore and Bobby looked off the pace from what he saw, from what Steve saw. Um, Moore probably still carrying a knock um, in in Steve's um, comment. Of course, he's referring to um, the incident against Leicester City. Talk to me about the forwards because, you know, again, it, you know, we, we win. We win 2-1 today, but, you know, none of the forwards actually scored. Talk to me about that. Um, uh, I want to, you know, in particular, talk to me about Marcela and um, and just his, um, uh, his, his form in general. What, what did you make of it? I, I think it's really hard to talk about the forwards in isolation overall pattern of play that we have because... Okay, we we'll talk about them as a whole then. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think we create any space for him. Like, we just hmm. don't. Even today, right, even starting a progressive midfielder, once again, as I mentioned beforehand, the balance was still off, right? So we didn't really create a bunch of space for him. Now, we created some opportunities. I think Mane probably should have buried one that uh, – Mane probably should have buried one, and then Firmino had a, a very good chance to bury one as well. So it's not exactly as if we were bereft of, of, of um, opportunities. There's a lot more that comes down Mane's side right now effectively than comes down uh, – Mo side because Trent, Trent and Trent and Mo don't play in the similar way where Trent is looking to, where they're they're isolating Trent and Mo against uh, you know trying to get them two on one against another team's fullback and move around. Trent is very much more a provider, and you find that Jordan Henderson lately has been the guy who's been responsible for finding the two on one space with Mo. And guess what? Run defenders aren't going to go run with Jordan Henderson because he's scored what like two goals in the last five years. If a guy doesn't give goal scoring threat. Teams, teams tend to ignore them in, in, the, the closer it gets to your own goal. So I think when it comes to the concept of all three of them as a unit, I don't think they get a, I don't think they get a particularly large amount of space. Mo getting by far the least amount of it. Yeah, the ankle's probably still bothering him. But it just if you don't create space for creative players, they're going to get crowded out. And uh, it's, it, you know, it happened a little bit less today. 
but it still happened. And it's something that we need to, we need to figure that out. Cause at some point, we, you know, I, I do want to see us beat a team five nil. And I don't want to have to be sitting there figuring out like how much of my nail I've bitten in the last 10 minutes of a game. Yeah, it's not been easy. It's certainly not been easy viewing. Tadeva, talk to me. I want to kind of get your thoughts on uh, just just the front men. I thought, you know, for most parts, I think, you know, Firmino, he was doing that whole thing of dropping deep again. Um, I think I saw a stat from Saibun just saying that he's covered the most distance from any Liverpool player. Um, you know, just kind of occupying so much space, dropping deep as per usual. I thought Sadio Mane as a whole, certainly in the second half, probably looked the liveliest. Yeah, I think... Sadio at the moment is just riding his wave. Um, mm. he, he knows he's, you know, everything he touches seems to turn into goals at the moment. So I think he's just trying to carry on that form. And we've seen at different parts of the season, beginning of the season, that was Firmino. He started the season off really, really well. But I think the, the problem with the front three is that people tend to forget the, the, the it's not just the, the, the preseason that they had in terms of international football. It's the last three years that they've had in terms of the amount of football that they've had to play and not had sufficient, you know, rest days and sufficient pre-seasons, you know, where they get to actually shut their Mm. bodies down. It's always just, you know, trying to keep them going, trying to patch them up. It's all patchwork instead of actually getting them an opportunity to fully shut down and then restart again. So that's going to wear on them. And, and at the beginning of the season, I think we had, we had a, uh, uh, I think it was a face-off uh, podcast where I, I, I was expecting something similar in this sense where they would start the season off hot because they were technically in mid-season in terms of fitness and, and you know, play and all of that because they had gone through the, the, either the AFCON tournament or the Copa tournament um, for, for Firmino and then obviously the AFCON for, for Mane and Salah. So they were already in mid-season form, whereas everyone else around the league would have been in pre-season form. So they had, a, in inverted commas, a head start on everyone else. That's why they looked so impressive early on. More so Firmino looked really impressive early on because it's almost like he had half a yard and everyone else who was still trying to pick up fitness. But with that came the fact that they were going to crash at some point in time of the season. And my worry was that their crash was going to lead to injuries. But at the moment, you know, obviously the Salah one, it was more an impact one. And at the moment, it seems the crash is more, you know, in, in their play and in terms of the, the quality that we're expecting from them necessarily than from injuries. And you'd rather have it that way than, than have the injury route. Um, so I think, for example, with Firmino, I think it's just being tired. And it might not necessarily be just being tired physically, but these guys have to be mentally prepared to go into games where Liverpool no longer play games where we're going into a game, you know, hoping to get a result. No, every single game we're going in having to score at least one goal because we have to win every single game because that's the standard that City had set last season. So from that mental perspective, you know, you can imagine the pressures of, of them all the way from last season you know, having the, 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 the heartbreak two years ago of the Champions League final and then playing all of last season. And then, you know, the pressures that went with that throughout the league season, there was so much pressure getting to the Champions League final. There's pressure. You're the favorite. You have to win it. They finally do it. Okay, you're thinking they get a break. No, nope, they have to go for, you know, AFCON and Copa. And for Copa, it's Brazil for Firmino. 
Brazil are expected to win every single tournament they enter, regardless mm -hmm. of you know what team they put out there. That's the standard that's set for them. And then if you look at Afcon, Mo Salah is the hope of the entire nation. So he, you know, he's got that pressure. He's meant to lead them to glory. And then for Sadio Mane, you know, he's also one of the, the key players for Senegal. And you heard, you know, with Mane, where he got a bit of stick, where he was saying that, um, where he said he would rather, he, you know, he'd give up his Champions League medal so he can win the Afcon with Senegal. That's what it means for African players to win the Afcon. It might not maybe relate as much to European football where they have that much pride in playing for the national team. But in Africa, it's a huge deal to play for your national team and to win something with the national team. You know, club football comes and goes. Club football is seen as, you know, a blessing. But the, the, the national team one is an absolute honor. So mm. imagine the pressure that Sadio was putting on himself for that tournament. And he went late into that tournament. So all of these players haven't had a time to rest. So at some point, they're going to crash. And we just have to hope that the crash is happening at this time where we've got the likes of Van Dijk scoring goals and they can help these guys to get over this hump and then, you know, hopefully no injuries and then they'll kick on because they're good enough to have that second win at some point in the season. The only worry is if they get the injuries. Uh, you know what? There's also another thing, though, to kind of maybe be considered a little bit. Uh, look at most other, you know, elite teams in the world. There's always some other dimension that they have from their front, from, you know, their, their forward players. But we, we've just gone out with the same three every single time. At some point, I feel like a little bit more time given to the likes of Origi or, you know, Origi really kind of off the bench, but also Shakiri. at some point it's going to need to happen because, you know, if a team sits there and plans all week for, we're going to see these three, and then there's a different wrinkle from how we line up to doing things. Um, you know, that's, that could catch teams by surprise. That might be how you manufacture some goals. And, you know, Salah is going to play the different, that position out wide differently than Shakiri. He's going to, Firmino is, would play different, you know, Origi and Firmino play differently. Sometimes you just have to show other teams other things because, you know, if you, if you the, the more, keep coming at a team the same way every single time, the more likely they are to figure out a, a you know, a way to cope with it. You have to throw some wrinkles in there every so often. To throw teams off, to throw teams off your scent. Absolutely. Now let's kind of talk about this game, and let's talk about the first half. I mean, Virgil Van Dijk. I mean, opens up the scoring. Tadeva talked to me about that because um, you know there's been a lot of talk. I think Gags. I think Gags has been saying things like you know um, he needs to be a bit more effective, and you know he. He opens up the scoring, I mean, and a massive significant goal as well, because I heard on the commentary something along the lines of Brighton have not conceded um, a, a header from a set piece. So, you know, props to the big man. Yeah, and, and Van Dijk has come, you know, uh, he's one of those players that is very hard to critique him. But if there is maybe something that he needed to improve on, it's, you know, his heading in the opposition box. His heading in our box is phenomenal. He's always the first person to get a, you know, a head to the mm. ball. But I think maybe because he set such a high standard on his debut when he, when he scored that header. Um, so he's not scored maybe as many headers as people would have thought he would have by now. And I think the important thing for us is that if he can start getting, chipping into goals and even, you know, Lovren this past week and midweek, if we start yeah. getting goals from our centre-backs as well, that's going to be massive um, for, for, for any title challenge. You need goals to be coming from everywhere else. And 
in terms of the goal itself, he did well to you know get away from his man. I don't know what kind of line uh, Brighton were giving because it was sort of like uh, zigzags all over. Um, there were some guys going deep, some guys stayed pretty high up. Uh, so you know, and and it's a good header to relatively head it back the way it came from. Uh, gave the keeper no touch when it uh, kissed the underside of the post. Absolutely. And uh, Justin, I want to get your thoughts on uh, just Virgil van Dijk and his goal, uh, goal involvement today. You know, especially when the strikers we've kind of discussed that might be a little fatigued, both physically and mentally. And last month we had a trend where the midfielders were scoring and now it looks like the defence is chipping in with the goals. <laughs> Well, I'll I'll really get excited about it when Adrian scores against Everton on on Wednesday. But uh, <laughs> but uh, it is Pickford. Where are things going to happen? Uh, yeah. But no, yeah, I mean, what, what can you say about Virgil Van Dyke that probably already hasn't been said about him? He, he's, he's an incredible footballer. He's an incredible leader. And when we needed him most today, he he rose to the occasion, both figuratively and literally, and 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 not you know the Puts, puts two um, thumping basic, well, one of them more of an angled, looping, gorgeous header, the other one kind of more of a thumper, past, uh, past Matt Ryan, who, you know, had a really good first half for them. Yeah, I, I was just going to say. I, I think it's, it's, I think the pattern of the game early was set within the first half where we kind of ripped through them, scored twice, and maybe we just shut off. Um, maybe we just assumed that this would be a walk in the park. And, you know, can't do that. Hopefully, we don't do that again. But I think that's kind of just Virgil set the pattern of the game by just because uh, he could do everything so casually and calmly that uh, maybe other people followed suit, and uh, that might not have been for the best for you know my, my heart rate. But thank you, Virgil. Absolutely. And Tadeev, I'll come back to you and let's talk about his second header. Um, he does really well to beat his man. Was it Dunk that was on him? Just kind of runs past him and just gets into a really advanced position and just connects to it perfectly. I mean, what, what did you make of um, his intelligence in the box there? Yeah, it's just really smart movement. And the moment Van Dyke gets half a yard on you, he's deceptively quick. <laughs> For, for such a tall, lanky guy. But um, the moment he had half a yard in him, I, I think it was game over for Dunk. It was just him now hoping Van Dijk doesn't get a, a good contact on the ball. Um, but just uh, just to add on to, you know, Justin's comment with regards to us shutting down a bit, I think that that's become a theme in, in a lot of our games where we do take the lead. We do tend to shut the team down, maybe not necessarily completely, but we do drop a few gears knowing that we've got extra gear to go to if we need to. Um, so I, I think it's something that we have intentionally done over the season. Of It's just one of the ways we're trying to use, you know, being able to rest our players is resting them in-game, but not necessarily doing as many sprints and as many runs as we usually would do. Whereas maybe people are hoping, you know, go and get the third, the fourth, the fifth, go and make a real big statement. We've tended to say we only ever concede one goal at most. So we've got two goals. We're only going to concede one at most in this game. So let's just, you know, cool it down a little bit. So I, I think there is some intention in that. No, I have to agree with you. And actually just talking about that whole thing as well. I mean, I, I know like, you know, they, they had a lot of possession. They had a lot of touches in the box as well, in our box. And, you know, the, the numbers were quite alarming. But, you know, I have to give, like, a lot of credit to Brighton because they actually came out to play football. You know, they, they wanted to play football. And, you know, 
even when they went 2-0 behind, I mean, they, they carried on playing the way they wanted to play. That could have been, like Justin said, was shutting off. But it's so crazy because I want to get your thoughts on this because even though they had all the possession and before Alisson sending off, which we'll get to in a minute, but even before all that and they were sort of penetrating our midfield and sort of, you know, being a bit more creative and had a bit more rhythm in their game, because there was a two-goal cushion, I wasn't really stressed out. I mean, were you the same or were you actually furious? Because I actually do, I am of the belief of what just Tadiva just said, that there's a two-goal lead. I don't think we're going to throw it away. I mean, what did you guys make of it? Justin, I'll come to you first. I thought at no possible time were we going to throw a two-goal lead away. Mm. This includes after the uh, the Don- Lewis Dunk goal. And by the way, Lewis Dunk was actually both very, very good and very, very bad in similar respects in this game for Brighton. Because... He missed a sitter, is that, didn't he? Yeah, I don't know. He missed a sitter, but I, I, I have to think, and this is where I think that you know, maybe the offside rule with that phase of play thing is just too bizarre. There's absolutely no way that you could legitimately call that, that Dunk's goal, even if Dunk is on side with the other the other player. I can't remember which player it was be in, in an offside position. Clearly, that player is influencing Allison Becker. That would be, and it, like that's why I hate the offside rule. Just simplify it, make it, make it a lot. Make it just make it to what it was because it made a lot more sense. But um, I didn't think we were going to throw the game away. On top of that, too, um, when it really comes down to it, and, and our back four defended very well. In particular, our two center backs defended incredibly well. Um, thought thought uh, I never thought I'd say this, but over the course of the last few games, thank God for Dejan Lovren, who's been actually quite good. Uh, you can say what you will for about the Napoli goal, but we're not talking about that game right now. But um, he was he was very good in this game. He didn't you know didn't do anything to uh, really allow Brighton much time. And I also just don't think Brighton uh, is as good as they were in our midfield and getting past us into positions on the pitch where they could potentially do some harm. They don't really have the players up front that can still do that to a to a team that's got you know a good enough back four to uh, to manage the situation. Yeah. So I was never really. I was never really scared about it. Um, also, when it comes down to it, because of the fact that their goal, uh, the way in which it was scored, um, I would. I was also certain, though, at some point that Martin Atkinson was going to blow for a penalty for, like, I don't know, like Trent Alexander-Arnold kicking a blade of grass at someone. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to come to you now, Steve. Let's talk about Alison sending off. Oh, my God. Like, zero complaints, right? You know, he twitches it outside the box. It's just like, I mean, was it just a, a rush of blood to the head? I mean, you, you know, you expect a goalkeeper that is so cool and calm and composed to be better in that situation. I think it's it's a combination of a few things. First and foremost, just because of the style of play that he has, he's going to have mistakes like that in the season. You have to anticipate that. He's also okay. going to have a mistake at some point in the season where he's going to misplace a pass or he's going to try and dribble around a, a striker that's pressing him and the striker's going to nip the ball off him and, and he's going to score a goal. It's just, you know, it's the risk that he takes because of the, the style that he plays. But you have to look at it over the course of the season and say he'll probably end up saving you more points than the points he does lose. Um, or another way is hoping that when he does make the mistakes, it's games like this where you don't necessarily lose any points. 
Um, but those mistakes, I think, are going to come with any keeper that that tries to be as adventurous as him, as Edison, and and the likes. Uh, in terms of this specific incident, uh, yeah, I, I I didn't think there was a need for him to come out. Yes, I get what he's what he saw in the two on one with with Lovren, you know, trying to get back, but I thought it it was a bit too far out. Uh, and then obviously, you know, it it was just reflexes. It 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 is definitely not anything he tried to do on purpose. It's, mm. 100% ascending off, um, but it's just one of those situations where as soon as he did it, he's like, oh, crap. Like, it, it was instinctive. There's nothing he could do about it. it, it his hand just automatically goes up. It's, it's you know, those, um, it, it's just one of those things for, for, for a keeper like him. Uh, but I don't think he's been that great since he's come back from the injury. You know, maybe that has affected him in terms of getting back to to the form that we saw from last season. But, you know, to this day, he, he he still hadn't kept a clean sheet yet since he's come back. So he's not necessarily been the Allison that that we saw last season. But obviously, that's understandable with the injury. The interesting thing, though, is if Adrian comes back in and he starts keeping clean sheets again, is there any chance that he gets to keep the jersey? Oh, that would be a, a discussion in itself. Um, I think he'll only be in for game right um i think alison is only suspended for one but justin i'm going to come to you because i think um, uh, tadeva made some really interesting points there i think it could have just been i mean do you think it's purely a reflex thing because you know if you look at where the ball was and where alison was he was so far off his line that he just it was just like subconsciously he just felt the need to commit there was no you know there was nothing else to do yeah he does but also at the same time we've seen him do that and actually head the ball so I'm just going to say it's down to one moment and a rush of blood to the head where he makes uh, the wrong decision. Um, that wrong decision hopefully doesn't really end up costing us in the long run. I'm pretty confident with Adrian anyway, though, because, uh, you know, what, what's the one thing that Adrian has that Allison doesn't have this season? A pair of clean sheets. Um, so at the moment, I'm, 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 no, if anybody interprets that as anything besides me being snarky and that I think that uh, Adrian's a better keeper than Allison, um, no, it's not what I'm saying. I don't believe that. I think Allison's a really, really good keeper, one of the world's best, but also I don't think he's in his greatest form at the moment. And, uh, you know, I, I would like to see his form improve. I don't think sitting on the bench against Everton is the, is the conduit to do that because realistically, I think that uh, we, we should get a clean sheet against them. They're bad um, and they can't score goals. But uh, I, think it's just, I think it's just a reflex thing where he wasn't thinking and there's there's no other explanation for it i think i think basically we just need to see whether how they uh how they rule the amount of games he's suspended for because technically by the laws of the game it should be one because it's just a, a red card for what yeah, you technically yeah technically technically a professional foul because i think the, the way the rule is supposed to work is you're only supposed to get three games if it's actual violent conduct yeah typically two, it's typically two games for dissent so we'll see but i think it should only be one game Fingers crossed. Yeah, absolutely. And Justin, sticking with you. And then, of course, you know, Adrian does get called into action. Oxley chamberlain has to make make way because, of course, that is Klopp's final substitution. And uh, Ox comes off, Adrian comes on, and he's literally called into action straight away. I mean, talk to me about that because that was controversial in itself. I mean, you know, did... Atkinson blow his whistle before Adrian set up his line and was in position? I mean, Atkinson can blow his whistle to restart play whenever he wants. But from, you know, if, if you've watched more than five games of this sport in your life, you also know it's customary for the referee to allow a keeper to at least assemble his wall 
And he puts, I mean, he puts Alice, he puts Adrian in no man's land. There's no, Dunk, Dunk just passes the ball because he clearly sees that Adrian's on the other, on the other stick. That's, look, Lewis Dunk is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Of course. And I'm not going to say anything negative about him doing that, but I am going to say something negative about Atkinson, who, um, you know, my other nuclear hot take after this game is that Jurgen Klopp should basically go full ballistic, uh, take a suspension for a game. You know, let Pep Linders manage. Let Pep. Let Pep Linders manage the match from the uh, from the sideline against Everton. But take a suspension so that way Martin Atkinson never referees one of your games again. Because the man is either biased or inept. And I'm le- and then with the amount of incidents that occur in Liverpool matches that he referees, I think bias is far more likely because he is incapable of being impartial. The only thing you want a referee to be is impartial and just referee the game to the le- to the letter of the law. Against us. He's incapable of doing it. We saw it with the Firmino-Var decision. At this yeah. point, it's gotten comical how biased he is. And to be perfectly honest, it's worth it to get suspended as long as he never can referee another one of your matches again. If I never see him or Anthony Taylor referee a Liverpool match again, I'll be more than happy. <laughs> I'm going to be really limited as to all the bad referees in, in the Premier League, right? Who shouldn't well, have... John, Mo- John Moss can fuck off too. <laughs> Jesus, the, the list is, is pretty long. I mean, Tadiba, talk to me about that situation because, you know, massive, it's massively controversial amongst Liverpool fans because even Adrian, you know, after, after they scored, he was still complaining about that, that he wasn't ready. You know, the wall wasn't ready. I mean, I just think it's professional courtesy to let the opposition keepers just been called into action to just kind of grab his bearings a little. The wall itself, half of the wall was still facing the goal, trying to get mm. it. Well, um, I have I've no clue if there's a rule on, you know, your wall has to be set up by a specific time. But that was that was incredibly weird. Um, and it, it, it's almost as if, you know, you, you, you don't want to speculate too much on, on intent or anything like that. But the keeper's clearly not even standing anywhere near a ready position. He's against the post directing where the wall should go. The fact that you blow the whistle then, why would you choose to blow the whistle then? Um, I guess maybe it's something that our, our keepers now have to pay attention to or every keeper has to pay attention to now. Because Can you remember an incident like that ever happening? You know, uh, definitely not in recent memory where, mm. you know, it, it, as you said, it's common courtesy to at least allow the keeper to get his bearings right, more so a keeper that's just come onto the pitch. Exactly. You know, at, as he came onto the pitch, the war even asked him, you know, how many should we have in the war? They didn't even know. Whereas maybe with Allison, they already had that planned. If there's a yeah. break in this area, I want four players. They were all sort of standing around asking um, Adrian, how many, you know, how many people do you want in the war? So maybe Atkinson was thinking, well, you guys are just taking the piss. You're taking too long and you're trying to time waste. Perhaps maybe that's what he was thinking. But I thought... I thought it was just ridiculous that he didn't allow him to at least get to the middle of the goals, even if the wall wasn't set, at least allow the keeper an opportunity to make a save. Yeah, to me, it just it just reeked of um, ineptness. I mean, a goalkeeper's just come onto the pitch. Like you said, it's a different goalkeeper. He probably wants different amount of players 
you know, in, in the wall. He also, when the free kick was taken, it looked like to me, I mean, I'm not in the replays, from watching it live, I'm pretty sure he was on his one of his knees anyway. He wasn't even, like, fully stood in a proper stood-up position. I mean, I could be completely wrong, but that's how it felt to me when I was watching it. Like, he just did not look prepared at all. It's ridiculous. And, Justin, I'm going to come to you because they've got a lot of momentum. Of course, they're back in the game, you know, they had a lot of possession. They had a lot of touches in the box. Now they have a goal to show for that. And Alison, you know, like he had some moments in that, you know, in in that period where you know he he was called into action and you know he nearly spilt it, but you know grabbed it. His reflexes were quite good. So you know, just talk to me about just talk to me about Adrian and his little bit of um his little cameo in that game because you know he came into a really high pressure situation. You know. He's come in, facing a free kick. He conceded. There goes the clean sheet. And, you know, his back is really up against the wall. Well, he comes in and put immediately under pressure by the referee, which is not mm-hmm. supposed to happen. And then you have, and once you have some of those like that, the nerves are going to creep up because you've been put into a situation where you're now responsible for seeing out three points. Yeah. And the referee is the one who's originally conspired against you. And my dog really clearly feels feels the same way I do. But um, (laughs) you guys can hear her grunting in the background. But uh, there's also um, there's also uh, the situation of him fumbling uh, an Aaron Moy shot that he almost spills into his own net. And you know clearly there's going to be some nerves there because you're being brought. I don't think any keeper wants to be brought into a game down a man in the 75th minute where their first involvement is get is comical refereeing that leads to that leads to a goal that he has no chance to contest. And all of a sudden, you've got a ton of nerves against you, regardless of the importance of the game. I don't think Adrian's thinking, I need to maintain this 11-point gap over City. He's just thinking, how do I basically get us to 90 minutes with, 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 uh, with the three points intact? And putting that kind of pressure on a guy is really difficult because he probably hasn't had a warm-up since maybe probably pre-match. What can you possibly expect out of him? So all things considered, he got us over the line. I don't really think he had to do a ton. The one thing he tried to do, the one thing he had to do, he almost messed up but didn't. And uh, I'll just stick with the fact that he didn't. That, that makes it more fun. Yeah, and the dog's barking in agreement there. Tadiva, I'm going to come to you. Umbilical boy, going back to the goal. Potentially, should that goal for Brighton have been reviewed by VAR? No, I don't think that can be reviewed. Um, the ref blown the whistle. The guy kicked the ball into the net. He's played to the whistle. Uh, I don't see where where VAR would step in, unfortunately. Okay, fair enough. And now your thoughts on Adrian in general? Yeah, maybe the referee himself should be reviewed, but that that has (laughs) nothing to do with VAR. Which would be nothing because it's normally their best mate in, in the VAR box. Yeah, no, no. They're, they're, uh, there is no... Uh, is, there, is, is there any sort of argument that, that's going that VAR should review that? I mean... There's, no, there's no, there's no there's, way. There's, there's no nothing way. to review. There's no, there's, no, you know, there's no basis for you to review that. The ref has blown the whistle and the guy's kicked it into the net. There's, I'm sorry, that, that would be a weak argument to, to ask for VAR in that situation. It, look, VAR is supposed to be used for evidence for clear and obvious mistakes, not clear and obvious examples of the referee being a total shithead. <laughs> yeah. Fair well, enough to be. Pete says, uh, referee should be retired, not just reviewed. I think that's <laughs> a better way to go about it. You know, I discovered something. I actually Googled 
Atkinson because I was like, you know what? Where is he actually from? Because the way some of these referees behave, you need to know where they're from. I discovered he's 48 years old. He looks 105. Yeah, he doesn't look a day under 75. <laughs> you don't even like shocked. You're like, fucking hell. <laughs> but where is he from? I think that's the next question we need to Yorkshire. Make. Yeah. Yeah, Bradford, apparently, Yorkshire. That's what I read on Wikipedia. I <laughs> don't know who wrote it. <laughs> but I'm believing his age. He's definitely 48. Okay, Tadeva, coming back to you. I mean, what did you make? We, we spoke about uh, where he almost, Adriano, gave us a heart attack moment, but did it pretty well. What I mean, are you comfortable with him, like, Justin and myself are, to kind of take take the gloves from Allison against Everton? Yeah, I'm comfortable with him being there. He's been our best keeper this season. We, we mm. have to be honest. Um, you know, we all love Allison, but in terms of form, I think Adrian's been our best goalkeeper. The only thing we'll probably lose out with Allison going out um, is obviously the distribution. Allison just pings that ball left, right, and centre to our players, and most of the time he gives it to them whilst they're in stride and they get to race off. So that does alleviate a lot of the pressure. Mm. So um, I think the only concerns for Adrian would be obviously the distribution as well also the comfort level that maybe the centre-backs, you know, Lovren and Van Dijk have had quite a few games together now and they've had quite a lot of games with Alisson in behind them. Maybe there could be some miscommunication with Adrian at some point in time where Alisson, you know, uh, as has shown was in this game, he races off his line and he's not shy about that, whereas Adrian does tend to hesitate a little bit when it comes to that. So there might become a problem where there's a situation you know, in the heat of the moment where a Lovren or a Van Dijk is anticipating that Allison's going to be coming up and then just realizes, oh, crap, it, 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 it's Adrian and he's not coming out. But the fact that it's only one game, you know, I'm, I'm confident for Adrian to see that one out. For sure. And all the things that Justin said as well, you know, about um, uh, Everton not really scoring an awful lot and just being absolutely dreadful in general. Guys, I mean... Does he miss the Bournemouth game, not the Everton one? There's something about the seven days. It's a, it's a, yeah, it, it's questionable. Rather have him play. I'd rather have Allison missing against the Everton than Bournemouth. Just saying. Oh, that'll be interesting. One to keep our eyes open with. I mean, I suppose I, that we go. Oh, go I, on, Justin. I do have one thing I want to come back to and add because I, you know, Nina, like you, I also just looked up Martin Atkinson's Wikipedia page. And <laughs> oh, God. The, they really Great bury the before. lead. They really bury the lead into the the end of this one. Um, last, so obviously we know that in the twenty in the twenty twenty World Cup there were no uh, there were no or sorry the twenty eighteen World Cup there were no English referees. So por- former Premier League Keith Hackett, former Premier League ref Keith Hackett, after Atkinson refereed last year's Manchester Derby or the twenty eighteen March Manchester Derby. If you want proof why no English referee will be represented at this summer's World Cup finals in, in Russia, look no further than Martin Atkinson's performance in the, at the Etihad on Saturday. Ooh. Just had to revisit that nugget. He's bad he, at his job. He's very bad at his job. And he's also 48 years old. Sorry, not going to let that one slide. 
Right, guys, you know what? Let's kind of talk about a bit more about the positives. I mean, I thought, you know, the sense about pairing, I think, Justin, you kind of spoke about it. I thought they did really well. Talk to me about the fullbacks. I thought it was great to see some creativity and, you know, some, you know, both of them, both Trent and Rob are actually providing some, you know, some wick. I, I thought both of them did their job really well today. Both of them were good. Uh, Trent, mm-hmm. you know, Trent plays a great ball to Van Dyke for the first goal. Van Dyke scores on a corner for the second, mm-hmm. so fullbacks at least you know provided the balls in uh van D- they didn't beat us down either one of their sides either too they were both quite no. solid defensively mm-hmm. um mo- most of bournemouth's uh most of bournemouth's pressure came basically from up to center which is something you never want to see but uh in the uh, you know at this point I, I i'm now past my uh my my initial uh you know anger at the midfield and i'm back into just celebrating the fact that we won the fullbacks were good the center backs were good Back five was mostly good, so no real complaints there. No, absolutely, and it was just great to kind of see Trent come back and, of course, get two assists as well. Talk to me about the fullbacks, um, uh, to be, but what did you make of them? Because I think Justin's absolutely spot on. They, you know, they they look flawless today, um, uh, largely because you know they are two of the most youngest, exciting, you know, um, uh, fullbacks in the country, but also. They weren't really challenged much, so they were they were allowed to free roam. Yeah, they they did have a lot of freedom, and I think that plays into our hands quite a bit. Um, obviously, the delivery of Trent is unquestionable. Great deliveries both times for for the Van Dyke goals. I thought Robbo looked quite inventive um, earlier on in the season. It seemed like he was hes- hesitant to bomb forward. Uh, maybe it, it seemed like it was definitely intentional, and there were instructions. With regards to that, you would see when you would get the ball, you would take about three or four strides and then stop, you know, where, where there was clearly space for him to carry on running. But it seems now he's been let off his leash a little bit more. So, yeah, that, that, that should be fun uh, to watch going forward. Absolutely. I mean, guys, we're kind of going to end this pod now pretty soon. But, you know, given the fact that City dropped some points today, I mean, you know, John Joe Shelby, Liverpool legend, you know, having his say on things. Um, a wonderful strike, by the way. And I mean, Justin, I got to come to you. I mean, I know that you, you, you know, we have some concerns about the midfield, and hopefully, Klopp tinkers with the formation and stuff. But just to see the job done, I mean, this is huge, right? I mean, forget what everyone else is doing. Liverpool just need to keep winning games, and I know it's not comfortable and it's not desirable, and we just want to have that relaxing five nil win at half-time so we can all just chill and enjoy the game. But they're a bunch of resilient fuckers. Rather look like shit and win than look great and lose. Mm -hmm. What what, what are you really going for here? Are you going for trophies or are you going for we're the team that looks and plays the best football? We've won the team that that looks and plays the best football award. Guess what? Guess what it gets you? Nothing. It doesn't get you anything. I would be fine with us winning a league like late Ferguson era where we're just good enough in both boxes and the rest of it could be kind of crap. But if we win the league that way, guess what people can't take away from you? The trophy. So, you know what? If I have, uh, you know, 24 more heart attacks, that's fine. Because I get a break for the summer. And then uh, we'll start it all over again. And hopefully uh, at the end of this, we're, we're, we're looking at, a, you know, a lab of honor that has a trophy with it. You know, you speaking about nice football, I remember when Reed Bullet became, I think it was it, Newcastle's manager way back when, and he goes, I'm going to bring sexy football back. 
and they, they lost some game really horrifically. And uh, I think it was Newcastle fans saying that like, you could stick your sexy football up your ass or something. Sorry, it just reminded me of a very, very long time in football and it just made me smile. Kadiva, come to you about that. Liverpool obviously taking full advantage of City dropping points. This is huge because you always speak about the mental battle between these two teams. You spoke about it last season. You know, I remember what my guests say on this podcast and I always take it with me. So, you know, how huge is it? that Liverpool are actually just, yeah, you've dropped points, but we're still winning. I mean, that must be so exhausting for, you know, anyone playing catch-up. And not just that, how many times, you know, have Liverpool gone into games in, in years past where, you know, uh, the, our rivals have dropped points and then we go into the game and we, you know, drag a draw in or, or even lose the game. But to, to be so comfortable in the game for so long, we, we can't forget that side of it. The fact that we were so comfortable at 2-0, we purposely shut the team down, we slowed it down, um, we, we're becoming more uh, rhythmic as a team. We know when to increase the tempo, when to slow it down, which is really, really uh, good to see and important for a team that has such a small squad or you know that, that as a manager that likes to play with such a small squad. From the mental side of it, it just seems like City don't have the fight this season for for a for a, uh, a Premier League campaign. Um, the thing with the Premier League and and why Liverpool have struggled so long with it is it's very easy to get yourself up for a cup game, and it's very easy to get well easy in inverted commas. It's obviously still a difficult task, but it's easier to get yourself up for the big games, the Champions League games, the Champions League nights at Anfield. It's these you know three o'clock kickoffs on a cold day, you know, the way you really don't feel up for it. And maybe the crowd is not feeling it as up for it. At home to Brighton, you expect it to win. You could easily then come away with these frustrating draws as City came away with uh, at Newcastle. So it's good to see that it seems like the mental side of the game has really been stepped up this season. And I don't know if it's to do with, I, I know we've brought in a, is it a psychologist that's working with the team now. Uh, Klopp has no involvement in it whatsoever, but um, the players have free license to go and see the psychologist when um, and if they need him uh, to go have sessions. And it's a separate part of, of, of the club that obviously allows for that independence and the freedom for the players to go there. So maybe that's also been a factor that, that, that's helped us to become the mentality monsters. Yeah, absolutely. Right, guys, I think we've come to the end of this podcast. I mean, is there any final thoughts that you want to share before we close this pod? Uh, Tadeva, I'll come to you first. Anything from the game that stood out to you? Anything that you need to kind of um, kind of just voice out? Uh, just the fact that it's going to be interesting to see who from the midfield steps up because someone definitely needs to step up. Absolutely. I think we all echo that. I mean, Justin, your thoughts? Nice to see VAR not engaged once. Absolutely. And, you know, sticking with that theme as well, I kind of looked at the bookings and things in that game. Zero bookings, it looked like a clean game. Red card to Allison, absolutely warranted. Referee got that one spot on. And you know what? I thought it would be quite nice that we don't talk about controversial referee decision, but of course he had to fuck things up and Ronnie Rosenthal it and do that stupid thing on the free kick. You know, so yeah, I'm with you there. It was I was almost hoping that we're not going to discuss bad officiating. Luckily, not too costly, but you know, still we're here discussing it. I mean, 
final one now, Man of the Match. This will be good. And uh, Tadiba, I'll come to you first on this one. My Man of the Match, uh, Virgil van Dijk. Mm-hmm. Uh, kept it relatively tight at the back. They didn't really get a sniff except for that dodgy free kick. Uh, the free kick itself was warranted. The you know the the way it was executed in terms of the ref's perspective was atrocious. Um, he gets the goal. He kept it tidy at the back. Uh, but also a shout out for Lovren, who seems to be, you know, riding a really good wave of form at the moment. And as long as Lovren is playing well and not doing interviews, I'm happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. And let's hope Virgil van Dijk wins the Ballon d'Or as well. Um, uh, you know, fingers crossed for him. Justin, what about yourself? Um, does Virgil van Dijk get your vote? Yeah, he does. The only other player I would have thought of would have been Trent Alexander Arnold, but uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Van Dyke because I'll I at the moment I'm gonna rate the, uh, the the sticking the ball in the back of the net rather than the providing the pass. For sure, absolutely, because that's what that's the difference between the three points. Yeah, Virgil Van Dyke is my man of the match as well. I thought he was pretty much flawless throughout that whole game as a whole, and yeah, it's great to see him having one of those games as well because you know, although he's been great, he's not been to the level of maybe what he was last season. And, you know, so, yeah, it's great to see Virgil van Dijk be Virgil van Dijk. So, yeah, Virgil van Dijk is my man to match. Guys, thank you so much for listening. A massive thank you to all our subscribers that joined us live. A special shout-out to Lubo, who I met on Wednesday, and he was at the game today. I'm so glad you finally got to see a win with your boy. I'm gutted that you couldn't join us today, but... I hope you enjoyed that. That must have been such a great experience for you. A bit nervy. I'm sure it kind of tested your heart palpitations and stuff, but you won't be a Liverpool fan if they did not put you through those emotions. Guys, before I let you go, anything you'd like to plug? Tadiva, I'll come to you first. Yeah, we're going to have the Rate, Don't Hate uh, show, so subscribers get your scores in. Uh, we should be recording that tomorrow morning, um, so that should be out soon. And then... From the wrestling side of things, there should be a Pro Wrestling Index podcast within the next two weeks, uh, just discussing the wrestling landscape at the moment. Wonderful stuff, wonderful stuff. And you can follow Steve on at the Ace of Naves, so do check him out and follow all his podcasts. He is a wonderful contributor on all aspects and all sports. Justin, you're a man that loves many sports as well. Um, hit me with your Twitter handle and what you're up to and where can people find you and all that good stuff. Uh, you can find me at Rolls on Shabbos on Twitter. Um, so I, I, I'm not working on any content at the moment, though. I think to do it, I'll probably start the transfer rumor pod, the transfer window pod on the free side in January mm-hmm. or late December. But I do want to also say, you know, as the holidays are coming up, um, it's a good time to try to find uh, different ways to be charitable. I'm working, you know, LFCNY, the organization that I, the supporters club that I uh, help run, is working with a charity called Downtown Elves. They've run for 11 years, raised over $100,000 for families in need in uh new york city who can't afford to have the you know can't afford to buy presents can't afford to buy a lot of the things that you know some of us take for take for granted during the holidays so you know go to downtownelves.com support them go to a food bank give people food go to any other charity just uh you know spread some uh some holiday cheer to the less fortunate if you can well that is an absolutely great message yet yeah, absolutely um guys um i hope you enjoy that our podcast and um, do check both of these guys out once again thank you to all the people that joined us live and your questions and the commentary really appreciated it from my side um i did a euro incision podcast where we discussed the napoli game do check that out 
uh, loads of great stuff on AI Pro. There's going to be some great stuff on the free side as well. Can't wait for the transfer pod as well. Hopefully, we're you know we're looking at some potential players for Liverpool as well. That should be exciting come December as well. And also, if you're on Instagram, do check me out on Instagram. I've got my own account. It's at the Nina Kauza Show. I post daily videos. Guys, thank you so much for watching. Till next time, up the Reds. Podcast Network.